Welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. Our nation is facing a crisis, a crisis I didn't even know about a couple of years ago. It's uh, called the opioid crisis, and I'm sure that you're familiar with it because you probably keep up with things better than I do. But I first found out about it probably about a year and a half ago uh, when I got called to be part of a think tank here in Lawrence County where I live with some of the other pastors and, and religious leaders in the community. And uh, I was asked to join something that had started several years ago, the Lawrence County Substance Abuse Coalition. And since then, I've learned a whole bunch more about this epidemic that we have of people who are addicted to opioids and, and prescription drugs. And it's not the people that you usually think of when you think of addiction. I mean, these are um, 18 to 35-year-olds, these are professionals, these are also <laughs> your, your grandmother and your grandfather. People from all walks of life are addicted to these things, and uh, it's becoming a crisis. And so there's a lot of initiatives right now trying to curb this and, and make a change. And it's not restricted to those outside of the faith community. There's a lot of people within the faith community that also struggle with this. And one of those people is our guest today, Joseph Habedank. He is a Southern Gospel singer-songwriter. He uh, was the lead singer for the Perrys for a while, and uh, he's now doing solo projects and, and on tour and, in a solo capacity. And he came to Lawrenceburg uh, a couple months ago, and uh, he, was, he, he gave a concert at a local church here and uh, shared his testimony about what had happened to him and, and his struggle with, with opioids. And uh, before he came, I was able to uh, do an interview with him over the phone, and it aired on local radio that morning. So there's a few things throughout this interview that are a little bit location-specific, talking about a concert tonight uh, that was for the local radio. But I'm going to go ahead and put this whole interview in this podcast And uh, his story is just such a blessing, and I know that you will love his story, and that hopefully it will encourage you, inspire you, and also make you rethink some things about the opioid crisis, and uh, hopefully find some compassion in your heart for someone close to you who may be going through something similar. So here is my conversation with Joseph Habedink. So, Joseph, uh, why don't we just go ahead and, and start with telling us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? And uh, we already mentioned a little bit about what you do. Um, but tell, yeah, just fill our listeners in on who you are. Well, I'm actually a solo artist, and, um, and i got to tell you, I grew up singing gospel music. I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and absolutely loving gospel music, and uh, got the opportunity to do that on a uh, professional level on a full-time basis when I was 17 years old. There was a group out of East Tennessee uh, called the Perrys that hired me uh, when I was 17. I was with them for 10 years, but about uh, five years into that, I started struggling with uh, prescription drug addiction after uh, having an ulcer in the back of my throat that abscessed and got infected and, of course, was introduced to uh, hydrocodone or oxycodone and uh, got hooked on those. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing how many people have a legitimate problem, they have a legitimate pain, and they take something so innocently and then all of a sudden it becomes this stronghold 
uh, an addiction in their life, and that was certainly the case with me. And uh, before it was all said and done, I was taking uh, anywhere from 10 to 12 hydrocodone or oxycodone every day of my life, and just a broken, broken young man. Uh, ended up losing my job after 10 years with the Perrys, and that was kind of my rock bottom for me because mm-hmm. who I was as a singer and a songwriter. And when that was stripped away, when it was taken away from me, I think that was my rock bottom. And so my wife, Lindsay, who had, we'd just been married about three years at the time, and uh, she came to me and said, you know, we need to get you some help. And, and unlike a lot of drug addicts, uh, I was really willing and ready to get help. I didn't want to live um, with this stronghold, this addiction in my life, the rest of my life. Because mm-hmm. frankly, if I would have kept down the road that I was going, I probably wouldn't uh, survive. And I checked into a place called Cumberland Heights on the west side of Nashville, Tennessee, out on appropriately out on the Cumberland River, and uh, it absolutely changed my life. I lived there for 30 days, and uh, and I just did what they told me to do. I mean, one of the things they told me is when I got out after my 30 days, they wanted me to do outpatient which was another five weeks of treatment. Uh, I was able to go home and sleep at night, obviously, but I had a three to four hour uh, drug uh, kind of education every night of the week, or four nights of the week, rather, for five weeks, and something that I did. And then after my my outpatient for five weeks, they told me I needed to do 90 recovery meetings in 90 days, and I did that, and they told me I needed to get a sponsor, and I did that. And, you know, there's a lot of great Christian people that I know who are kind of uh, against maybe the 12 steps. They're also kind of against uh, maybe the uh, the rehab situation. But what I always tell Christian people is that God can use anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the Bible, he used a donkey. Mm-hmm. He can use a donkey. You know, why can't he use a rehab and a 12-step program? And it, it helped me tremendously. And so I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. And then somewhere along the way, there was a record company here in Nashville named Daywind Records, who ironically uh, was who the Perrys were with at the time. And they came to me and said, hey, we want to do a solo album on you, which was kind of a very uh, risky thing for them because, you know, I'd only been six months maybe, uh, six months clean and sober, and so it was a huge risk for them. But I did an album and um, started getting a little, little bit of attention from press, people like Billboard Magazine and Fox News and they wanted to interview me and talk about my story, and so I kind of built this ministry on what God had done in my life through recovery, and uh, it's something that I share every night, no matter where I am, and there are even places that have me back over and over every year, and they still want me to share my story, because you never know who's going to be in the audience, and I think that God has taken the brokenness of it and made something really special something that I probably would not have had or something that uh, would have have never come to fruition had I not walked through what I did. And Mm -hmm. and I always tell people the gift of recovery is, I think for me, uh, a Grammy nomination uh, Mm -hmm. that I got on my last album, Resurrection, was nominated for a Grammy Award. And I don't think, I really don't think that that would have happened had I not walked through what I did. And uh, that's the gift of recovery. There are things that that God will give you if you do the next right thing and take it one day at a time and put one step in front of the other and let go and let God and live life on life's terms and all those things that 
uh, they tell you to do in the rooms. It's all about just being grateful and being open, being willing. Mm. And, uh, and so I'm so grateful for this journey. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to get up in Lawrenceburg tonight. And I'll share a little more uh, tonight um, at the concert. And I hope that everybody will come out. And I hope that it will encourage people. I really do. Because it's something that's uh, so important to me. And one of the coolest things about this story, and then I'll let you ask another question. I'm sorry, I'm kind of <laughs> rambled. Oh, no, you're good. Thing, one of the most important things about this story is that the Grammys, as an organization called Music Cares, and they actually paid $25,000 for me to go to treatment. They paid that. Wow. And three years later, I was a Grammy-nominated artist. And that's just a full-circle God moment because that, you know, I'd never been nominated for a Grammy, never even been on a first ballot, and I made the top five uh, Roots Gospel album wow. uh, in 2017. And so that's a pretty cool full circle moment. And it's just a testament of what God can do with our brokenness. Um, God is near, the Bible says he is near the broken. Mm-hmm. He's closest to the broken. He loves broken things. And so uh, as hard as it was, uh, the best thing that ever happened to me, and I always tell people the worst thing that I ever walked through was the best thing that ever happened to me. Wow. That's powerful. Um, I want to circle back to something you said near the beginning, which I think is such a vital point. Um, Because I think within the the Christian community, especially, uh, there is a stigma, not only against the 12-step program or anything like that, but but also against those that may be struggling with addiction. And we like to think that, well, if if they're a drug addict, then, you know, they're living in, in some slum in New York City and they're shooting up heroin or, you know, something like that. And yet here in Southern Tennessee, we're facing... Um, um, you know the opioid crisis with with people who are addicted to prescription medica- medication and they don't look like who we would stereotypically think of as addicts and uh, can you talk a little bit about you know people who may be in the in the audience tonight who when you look at them you won't think that they may be struggling with this and yet they will be or they might be can you talk a little bit about what we can do to reduce that stigma or or the reality of of what the opioid crisis actually looks like well i think you said it and and to your point um something that i always say and i think you said it best is that it used to be that the guy that was holding a cardboard sign on the side of the road, the homeless guy downtown in your metropolitan city, those were your drug addicts. But because of prescription drug addiction, now it's professionals like doctors and Mm -hmm. lawyers and dentists and pastors and singers, musicians, people that, uh, that can function under the influence of these drugs. But at the beginning, the problem with addiction is it's such a slippery slope and that eventually you're functioning but you're not functioning at the level that you need to uh, to facilitate appropriate relationships. And so eventually you become irritable and you become short-tempered and you become isolated, you become, uh, become uh, a loner, and then you separate from your family and you separate from those you love and then people. And there's always so much drama that is uh, around addiction. But I think the biggest thing that we have to do, and it's pretty simple, is to talk about it. Mm. And I think... Communication is the key, and I think for anybody who's struggling, it is the most terrifying thing to go to somebody that you trust and to say, I'm sick, I have a problem, I need help. Mm -hmm. 
one of the biggest things that I learned in treatment, we had a thing called the maze, and they would blindfold you, and they put you in a maze, and you had to get out. And there was no way to get out. There was no possible way to get out unless you stopped one of the workers on the outside of the maze and said, I need help. Mm. He would let you out. That's all you had to say. I need help. I need help. Mm. And that was such a powerful thing because so many of us stumbled around in that maze for 30 and 40 minutes before we went, Hey, I need help. Can you help me get through this? That's as <laughs> simple as it is. And yet it's so hard to do because we just are so embarrassed because of that stigma. And uh, something that I would like to acknowledge is the Celebrate Recovery has done such an amazing job at infiltrating the church with uh, drug awareness. And I, I just want to say how amazing I think that is, how incredible that is, and what a tool that is to help the body of believers that are struggling with strongholds in their life, whether it be addiction to drugs or alcohol or uh, sexual addictions or pornography addictions. There are so many different things that people struggle with in their lives mm -hmm. that we have to talk about. Um, even things like homosexuality and mm -hmm. things that we are scared as a church to discuss. If we don't reach these people, nobody's going to reach them. Nobody's going to reach them. If the church doesn't reach out to the broken like yeah. Jesus did. I mean, Jesus didn't hang out with good people. He hung out with prostitutes and liars and cheaters and thieves. Mm -hmm. and that's who he hung out with. And it, that's not to say that we are Jesus, and but we ought to try to be like him. Yeah. And we ought to try to uh, show people Christ Amen. and welcome them with open arms. Amen. And since you brought that up, I know we're promoting primarily the event tonight at, at Gum Springs Baptist, but um, since you brought up Celebrate Recovery, I just want our listeners to know that my church, the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church on the corner of Buffalo and Randall, we do have a Celebrate Recovery program every Thursday evening at 7, so um, check that out if, if, if you're looking for a resource like that, because I agree, it is such a powerful resource for, for people, for anyone struggling with anything, and, and we all seem to struggle. Um, so one one other uh, question, kind of in, the, in our last couple minutes here, um, if there was someone who's listening, and and in Southern Tennessee, it's it's very likely that there is um, who is struggling with um, an opioid addiction or or something like that. What would you tell them? What if you had one thing one thing to share with them this morning? What what would it be? Well, not to be redundant, but. The number one thing I would say is to talk to someone, but more importantly, on a personal level, what I would say is, and I learned this in treatment, and again, Christianity doesn't necessarily love this idea, but I'm going to tell you what I think is the truth, and that is, you are not a bad person mm. because you struggle with addiction. You are sick, and you need help, but that's okay. We all have stuff. We all need help in our lives. We all have that moment where we go... You know what, this is not right. This is a problem. I need to fix this. But the, the biggest thing, the biggest misconception is that we can do it alone. And I can't tell you how many times I tried to quit on my own. It never worked until I brought it into the light. Because when you bring something from the darkness into the light, it loses its power. Mm -hmm. There is no, It has no longer has its power. So you have to bring that addiction from the darkness, which is in your little, uh, your little solitude, that you keep your secret place, that you keep from everyone else. And whether it's your wife or your husband or your pastor, or maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your dad or your mom, you have to, a grandparent, just say, hey, I have a problem, I need help, and know that you are loved, 
by the maker of the universe, by the creator of the stars. He loves you. He formed you in his image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He is the God of the second chance and a third chance and the fourth chance. He is a God of grace and mercy and love, and he wants you to be well. Such an inspiring conversation with Joseph Habedank. And if you have not heard him in concert or heard his story live, definitely go to his website and find out if he's going to be in your area and uh, go and see him. It's definitely worth it. Uh, his website is josephhabedink.com. I'm going to spell that for you. It's Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H, Habedink, H-A-B-E-D-A-N-K.com, josephhabedink.com. Check out his website, uh, look at his, buy, buy his latest album. Um, he has several of them, including one that's specifically written as he came through this journey is in his recovery from the opioid addiction. Um, that one's called Welcome Home, and I highly recommend his music. Go see him, go support him, listen to his story. I hope it was as inspiring to you as it was to me. Next week, here on Stories of Faith and Hope, I have a conversation with someone that I've known for many, many, many years, um, Chaplain Dick Stembachen. And uh, he shares a little bit about his story and, and quite a bit about the White Coat Program that you may have heard about in the history books. So here is a short preview of next week's episode with uh, Chaplain Dick Stenbachen. A couple of other guys who were drafted went in as, as medics and volunteered for white coats. You had to volunteer. You weren't pushed into white coats. You had to volunteer. Uh, he and several other guys who had already had uh, light training, licensed as pilots, were put into a special test program. And they were put into kind of an aircraft module where they stayed for several days. And they were infected, became pretty ill, headaches, that's but they, they ended, were tested throughout the whole process to see if they could control the, quote, airplane. Hmm. Well, later on, years later, they found out that this was a test for some of the first uh, orbital Earth moonshots to be sure that the astronauts could function if they became ill because nobody knew what's out there. That conversation is going to be right here on Stories of Faith and Hope next Friday. Make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're listening on so that you don't miss it and future episodes. You can find us online at faithandhoperadio.com, on Facebook and Instagram at Faith and Hope Radio. Music was provided by Dexter Britton under the Creative Commons license. And until we meet again, have faith and hope.